Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joseph, how are you today? I am doing well, Dan. Very good to be here. Thank you. Folks, yeah, Joe, there's a lot of dancing going on out I there. I know. And your dancing's mattering, by the way. It yeah. mattering big time. I, I'm going to cover this in the beginning of the show, but this disastrous omnibus bill, uh, this gross overspending budget bill that was signed into law, what is it, last Friday? Uh, no, the Friday before last Friday. I remember being in the gym, and I ranted on it, and I said, listen, it was a bad deal. Trump shouldn't have signed it. I appreciate the fact that I think he understands now it was a mistake. I was really upset at the GOP Senate and the House for abandoning their principles once again, but you guys are speaking out and ladies out there, and it matters. I'm going to put a story at the show notes today, Yahoo News, that members are going home to their districts. Members. what Members. That's such a like swamp term. Sorry, I just <laughs> read it all the time, and I'm, I shouldn't be using ridiculous jargon like that. Congressmen and women well. are going back to their districts, and people are up in their grills in a nice way. We don't do <laughs> violence like the left, but they're up in the grills, Joe, in the grill, yeah. and saying, dude, lady. What's the deal? I thought we were the party of fiscal responsibility. You're spending us into oblivion. And they are, the message is getting out there. This is why I tell you all the time, you know, that quote, the enemy is not vanquished until he considers himself so. We're not vanquished. Keep speaking out. The yeah. dancing matters. They are paying. I'm getting it from people left and right. I talked to a guy the other day. I'm not going to say who or even hint, but someone of influence who said the same thing. That back in their district, people are like, what the mm happened with that spending bill? Yeah, I'm getting the tweets too, man, of people that are dancing, giving you the examples. Go, go, go! Yeah, and we're getting great emails, and the contest is fully underway. It's the dance contest. You send us your story of how you danced, and my wife has already narrowed down a couple of ways. We got a few. We keep sending them in, though. It was a great story I heard the other day of a guy who does a carpool. You know who you are. I'm not going to mention your name, but. He does a carpool, Joe. Yeah. So I think he picks up randos on the way, like random people <laughs> to get in the carpool lane. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, got lipstick on. <laughs> My wife kissed me before she left. <laughs> it's just like she left some lipstick remnants on me here. She's uh, taking a quick trip. But uh, he said in the car, he puts on my show. So if you're listening now in that carpool, thank you for doing that. And apparently somebody in the carpool complained and found it offensive. And he was like, my car, daddy-o. You can walk if you'd like. My we go to your car. You put on what you want. So I love it. Your All stories right. are great. Another great one. Uh, I get an email from a person. Said every time they go in a Verizon store with the phones. Uh-huh. They switch all of the phones to the, to go to the Drudge Report for their homepage. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest right. story ever. So good job. Send them in. We're going to pick six winners. And I may continue this contest for a long time. I got a lot of books. I, I only have six <laughs> of Kilmeade's books, but I have a whole lot of my books. I, I'll sign them for you. I may continue this for a long time. I'm having so much fun with these emails about you all. I'm telling you, folks, if you want to act big, you want to run for office, go big. You want to go small and switch all the phones. And Verizon to the Drudge Report. I'm, I'm either one. It's I, I think they're all great, and they all make me laugh. My wife and I get a kick out of them. She's helping me read through the hundreds and hundreds of emails of people making small gestures and dancing each day. So, good job. 
All right. Uh, today's show brought to you by iTarget. We love iTarget, folks. Anybody can shoot a firearm. The question is, can you shoot it proficiently and accurately? That's the real demarcation point. That's what matters, okay? Now, dry firing is one of the best ways to practice your firearm's proficiency and accuracy, your trigger control, trigger pressure, sight alignment, sight picture. But dry firing, uh, you know, it's a great way to do it, but you want to take your dry fire practice to the next level. What is dry firing? Dry firing is uh, depressing the trigger on a safely unloaded weapon. Check it. Check it twice. Check it three times. Uh, when you admit, when you unload a weapon, you rack the slide to the rear. You open the cylinder. You want to look. Make sure it's unloaded. You want to look away and then look back again and then do it a third time and then take your pinky finger, probe those cylinders or the chamber and make sure it is unloaded. You then dry fire a safely unloaded weapon and you practice your trigger control and your sight alignment. But you don't know where the bullet would have gone. You don't know because it's a dry fire. Obviously, it's not, there's no round in it. The iTarget Pro system, they will send you a laser round. You drop the round in the firearm you have now. And when you depress the trigger, the hammer will fall on the laser round and it emits a laser onto a target they send you. And you can see where the uh, round would have gone, which is great because now you know if you're accurate or not. I've got friends of mine, uh, uh, my co-writer on the book, whose husband, I tell the story all the time, cannot put the system down. She's still mad at me for it. It is the greatest system ever for practicing your dry fire. Go give it a shot. It's available at itargetpro.com. That is the letter itargetpro.com. That's itargetpro.com. Promo code DAN, my first name, D-A-N, for a really nice 10% off. Go check it out. You're going to love this. All right. Um, so that Yahoo News piece is terrific. It'll be at Bongino.com today. And the gist of it is just that, that you speaking out is making a serious difference. These Republicans now are terrified. They're terrified because they want to get reelected in the 2018 midterms, a third of the Senate and the entire House of Representatives, which is up every two years. They're terrified that they're losing political support amongst their base because of your emails, because of your phone calls. Folks, this matters. It yeah. makes a difference. When you speak up, people know it. Now, let me give you a piece of advice from a candidate who has run for office before about the inside baseball of politics. If you are a, let's call you a prolific voter, you vote in primaries, you vote in school board elections, you vote in city council primaries, city council elections. In other words, you don't miss an election no matter what. That's me and my wife. I don't think I've missed an election in, gosh, 10 years. I vote a lot. This is important. You will have a voter score. Now, I know, forgive me, Joe, I know we've talked about this yeah, before with cool, the audience, man. but some of you are new listeners, and this sure. is very important you understand this. Those voter scores are public information. Everybody on the planet knows you voted. I don't know if you know this. They don't know who you voted for. It is a secret ballot. Nobody knows that but you. That is not public information. I assume I know Joe's a conservative. I assume Joe voted for Trump, but yeah. honest to God, I have no idea. I, you know, I mean, we could ask him, and Joe, I'm sure, would tell us he voted for Trump. But I don't know that. I can't categorically prove that, and I can't search the internet for who Joe Armacost voted for. But I can search the internet to make sure Joe Armacost voted. Now, what does that do? There are companies out there that use this data and sell it to candidates. They sell it to other people, too, who are interested in voting behavior for market reasons. Hmm. People who vote may also buy pet rocks. So pet rock companies would want to know if Joe... You get what I'm saying, Joe? It's not, you know, it's not just available to candidates. It's available to anyone. Mm -hmm. But obviously, political candidates are interested in this information. 
Why would that be? Because if you're running in a competitive primary on the Republican side amongst 10 candidates, primaries only Republicans can vote in in most states, right? And you're out there knocking on doors and you're sending mail and you're targeting people on Facebook. You want to make sure you target people who vote vote in primaries, right? So they sell you a voter score. Now, uh, one of the systems I used... Was it voter gravity or true? I forget. We used a few different systems. Voter gravity was very good. They were, I think it was, they were scored one through 16. And 16 meant like a nuclear explosion wouldn't keep you away from voting. A 16 voter, if that was the system, it may, I forget them. It doesn't really matter it was, whether it was 10 or 16 is irrelevant. But the highest number was 16. If you were a 16, Joe, you hadn't missed a primary election or a general in in probably five or six election cycles. I wasn't a 16, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 very, I mean, listen, to be candid, very few people are. Somebody misses for, for various reasons, you know, and that's understandable. I get it. I'm, you know, um, I'm in this business, so, it, you know, I, I, I just enjoy the whole practice of engaging in the civic uh, discourse there. But most people do miss one. But those 16s, Joe, are super valuable. Why? Because they are going to vote no matter what. No matter what. A lot of them happen to be older folks. It's why people who are, uh, you know, 55 and older have uh, really outsized political power. They do, which is just the fact that they vote. Good for you. (laughs) Good for you for staying involved. Matter of fact, one of the reasons... Younger folks, you know, the, 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 the 20 to 55 crowd don't have the political power of older folks. There's a lot of people 20 to 30, 30 to 40. As they go up, they vote more. But as they go down in age, they vote less. I bring all this up in context of the rescission debate, which I discussed last week, and the fact that you're speaking out and members are worried. Because if you are one of those 16 score voters that votes all the time, Please, I'm begging you, call or email your congressman's office about the spending bill, the budget bill. Please, I, I, I can't, uh, please dance with me on this one. Your voice, if you are a 16 or 100 or whatever, you vote all the time, they will check you out, your congressman's office. Uh-huh. Not in a creepy metadata Jim Clapper kind of way, or John Brennan spying Obamagate kind of way. <laughs> They will check you out in a standard database, typically. They get emails and they'll look you up. Again, they don't know who you voted for, Mm -hmm. but they'll know your party affiliation. That's public record. They'll know you're a registered Republican, and they'll know you vote all the time. Folks, you are gold to them. Gold. Now, I'm not saying, just to be careful, I'm going to be very careful. I'm not saying that, let's say this is the first time you're going to vote. You're 18. Or you've been out of the political process for a while. You listen Mm -hmm. to my podcast and right now you've decided to become re-engaged. Yes, your voice is valuable too. Send that email. Cut spending. Big caps. Or you losing my vote. Your email is valuable too. But I'm just being candid with you. It's not as valuable as the people who voted for the last 20 years and never missed an election. Those people are gold. Gold. That's you. I shouldn't say those people. Some of you listening. You are gold. You have to stay on them because that rescission bill, that impoundment act we talked about last week, and not to redo the show, but just so we're clear on this, the 1974 impoundment act allows Donald Trump, the president of the United States, within mm-hmm. 45 days of the passing of this awful omnibus bill, this overspending orgy they engaged in, it allows him to suggest cuts to Congress that they can, that, I shouldn't say cuts, it allows him to impound money, in other words, not spend it, which is just as good as cutting it. 
with simple majorities of both houses. But we got to push, we got to push, we got to push, and we got to push. This will be the first time this has been used significantly since Reagan. We got to do it, folks. We have to turn the freedom train back, even in small little steps. This is our opportunity to dance with them. But it's going to require you to send an email, to call the office, be cool about it. You know the you know the drill. I mean, you don't need any lectures from me. You know how to handle it. But I just want to throw that caveat in there. If you are a four by four voter, someone who's voted in the last four primaries and last four generals, you probably have a super high voter score. They are going to look you up. And when they look you up, your word is going to carry the weight of 10 or 15 others. Please reach out. And by the way, some people have asked me whenever I cover the voter score, how do I get my voter score? The answer is um, you don't. It's not like a credit score. <laughs> um, you can if you want to yeah. go open up an account with whatever voter gravity or whatever. That's up to you. But it's not like a credit score where you're entitled to three free copies of your voter score. <laughs> and remember, a lot of these entities score you differently. So, you know, whatever, one's on one to 100, one's one to 10, one's one through 16, it doesn't really matter. But you could get it, but you'd have to probably pay for it. So just know this, I, I, you don't have to, you don't need your voter score. I'm, I'm telling you, having run for office, if you voted in the last four primaries and the last four general elections, you have a high voter score. That's all you need to know. And people know it. That's why, did you notice you get all the robocalls? Mm. Why do you think that is, folks? You think that's random? Why do you think during election time, everybody's knocking on your door? Why do you think at election time, you're getting 500 mailers in your mailbox? Because they bought your information and they know you vote. Now, you may find it annoying that people are knocking on your door and sending you mailers. But my humble opinion, you should consider it a badge of honor. Because I listen again, being frank here, your voice matters more than other people because you vote. And that's why these congressmen and these local state senators and state representatives are knocking on your door. They know you're going to vote. That's just the hard facts. We live in a constitutional republic. Everybody has the opportunity to vote as long as you're a citizen and you're not a felon in a lot of states. But if you choose not to, then again, just being frank about it, most politicians choose not to knock on your door because you're not going to vote. Sure. I get it that you think it's annoying, but it, it really does matter. Hey, one more note on this topic of rescission and impounding funds. Gosh, we're in a really bad spending situation right now, folks. That's why I was so bothered by this omnibus bill. The level of spending cuts. You know, let me take a note on this, Cato. I'm gonna because I may for, I don't want to forget. Once in a blue moon, I forget to put things in the show notes. There's a longer version of a story from Cato today, but it matters about the level of spending cuts we're going to need to get back to some level of fiscal sanity. Right now, we're at the point where we owe in debt, accumulated debt, the entire amount of our, our economy produces in a year, our GDP. Folks, that's a danger zone. There's a lot of good, strong research that once countries reach that 90% point with debt, in other words, they owe 90% of what the country produces in a year, yeah. that you start to reach a dangerous and uncontrollable tipping point because interest gets out of control. I mean, think about that in terms of, of, of microeconomics. It's simply, in, it, it, you know, narrowing it down to your house, Joe. If you owed, if you make $50,000 a year mm -hmm. and you owe $50,000 a year, soon the interest payments on that alone start to overwhelm your daily expenses. Yeah. Once you start getting to $100,000 where it's double what you make in a year, the interest payments alone 
start to become, you can't even meet the interest payments. So now you have that, that, that death spiral of interest and you never get to the principal at all. We're getting to that point, folks. Now, one of the takeaways from this report, the amount of spending cuts we're going to have to start to engage in right now. Okay. This is dramatic. It's about five to seven hundred billion a year if we're going to get on track. Folks, we, we spend four trillion now. Those are massive cuts. But the longer we wait, this is the takeaway, the worse it gets. If we wait five years, they're going to be eight hundred billion and nine hundred billion. Soon it's going to have to be a trillion a year in cuts. Bottom line, reach out, email your congressman, call them. They have to start somewhere. And this impoundment act and the rescission of funds is a place to start. You know, please, I'm, I'm imploring you to dance a little bit with me on this one because it's important. Okay. Uh, let's see. So much going on. Hey, um, I have a great piece at uh, Bongino.com today. We're producing original content by my resident debunker-in-chief, Matt Palumbo. So I'll put a piece in the show notes today, um, again, about the Australian gun control and their confiscation program. It's a, a new piece up there at the debunk this section of Bongino.com about why Australian gun control would completely, entirely uh, blow it here. It would not work. It would be disastrous folks uh it it australia is one basically big island they do not have uh borders on land guns are smuggled into this country from foreign countries all the time uh it is not that the demographics are different it is uh it would be a disaster and matt covers this in a piece i'll put in the show notes today but it is available at bongino.com i encourage you to read it he does a good job i asked him to write the pieces short and sweet you know four five hundred six hundred words just you know, bottom line up front, he does that. So check this piece out. Um, it's really good. On that note, there's another great piece at the Federalist today. I have a, I took a screenshot of it. I'm going to, some of you who follow me on Twitter may have caught this interaction. This is funny, Joe. So the other day, um, I'm on Twitter and I, I don't know what I tweeted out, but uh, a woman tweeted back to me that, you know, we, we were buffoons at the NRA, that I was a buffoon and, we were, you know, really, really dopey and whatever. And Buffoon. so she challenged me to a debate on the Second Amendment. She is a, a law professor. Now, ordinarily, I'm, t- I'm really, really desperately trying to avoid Twitter wars back and forth these days mm-hmm. um, because they go on all day. And seriously, they take up a lot of energy. And a lot of the times nothing gets done yeah. and it turns into a slug fest. And I'm just not interested. But I forget her name, Miranda something. But uh, she is a professor. So she challenged me to a Second Amendment debate. And I initially just gaffed it off. But then I thought, okay, I'll take that debate. So we're trying to schedule her to, you know, to her credit. She said, all right, I'll come on. She wants to come on. Uh, We're going to do it on my NRA TV show Friday. 5.30 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, live at nratv.com. So uh, I hope she shows. She said she would. So she's a woman of her word, and she really wants this debate. Uh, we'll see what happens. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, on the gun control argument, there's a piece by Adam uh, Adam Mill in The Federalist today that will be up in the show notes, which is really terrific. And it it shows some basic correlations on a point I've tried to make often. And the point I've tried to make uh, is that gun control Um, Excuse me, gun ownership, the left's premise that gun ownership is going to lead to more gun violence and more crime is refuted by simple basic facts. Joe, if if that's your premise, right, Mm -hmm. more guns equal more crime, Mm -hmm. then you would think you'd be able to show in places where there are more guns that there was, in fact, more crime and more gun crime. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, that evidence is is 
the evidence is largely the opposite. Right. Now, I'm not going to, I've discussed this in the past and you know, I don't like to repeat shows, but what's interesting about Mills piece is he takes it from another angle. He says, listen, let's look at countries with the lowest gun ownership rates. Because if your assertion, Joe, that more guns equals more crime is in fact accurate, mm-hmm. then the inverse should be true as well. That low gun ownership should equal low gun crime rates and low low homicide rates and low crime rates, right? And that would be correct. Well, let's look at this. So Mills, Peace, and the Federalist, which will be up at the show notes at uh, my website. Here are uh, some of the states, uh, so, some of the uh, places with low gun ownership. El Salvador, Honduras, Venezuela, Jamaica, Lesotho, Belize, South Africa, Guatemala, Trinidad, Bahamas. He compares that with the rates of uh, gun homicides and murder rates, and you find out that the places with the lowest gun ownership rates have some of the highest murder rates or higher murder rates than other countries that have extremely high gun ownership. So, folks, the correlation doesn't make any sense. This is very simple. If you're trying to say that increased intake of aspirin is going to lead to fewer heart attacks. And you would look for people who take high doses of aspirin and you would look to see the heart attack rates. If I'm not suggesting this is the case, but if increased dosages of aspirin led to more heart attacks, then you would throw out your premise that more aspirin leads to less heart attacks. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But the left who professes to believe in science throws all of that out the window when it comes to guns because this is not a debate based on law. It's not a debate based on reason. It's a debate based on emotions. Low gun ownership rates, high murder rates. Countries with high gun ownership rates. Norway, some of the others have very low gun uh, homicide rates and homicide rates in general. So it the correlation just doesn't fit. You're trying to uh, fit a, you know a, a square peg into a round hole and it's not working. It's just, oh man, is it frustrating. Mm-hmm. Gosh. You know, I, I, th- we do facts on the show and then they, they try to fire back. Well, you know, look at Australia. That's why, by the way, I, I keep putting these, I have Matt do these pieces on Australian gun control because Australia, there are more guns now in Australia than there were before the gun confiscation program. So your premise that more guns is somehow going to equal, um, you know, uh, uh, more crime it's nonsense. There are more guns now in Australia than before they confiscated the gun. So if you're saying there's less crime now due to the gun confiscation program, you haven't accommodated your statistics for the fact that there are more guns. What part of this are you missing? All right. I got a lot more uh, to get to today. Busy, busy, busy news day. So today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. They're one of my original sponsors. You know, I love them. They have one of the best uh products on the market out there and field of greens what's field of greens it's your fruit and vegetable insurance we all should be eating fruits and vegetables they're rich with vitamins and minerals these are the foods that are going to keep us alive sustain our lives sustain positive you know strong cognition and health into our old age we know we should be doing it but a lot of us don't you know the excuses are everywhere joe we don't have the time it take too long to prepare they spoil some of it's perishable oh i get it listen we all live busy lives totally understandable okay but you have no excuse now because Field of Greens has made this easy for you. Field of Greens is Brickhouse Nutrition's new fruit and vegetable powder, but it's food. This is not extract. This is ground up real food. You throw it in water. I like it in green tea. Sometimes I put it in V8. It is terrific. It has a little bit of cherry in it, a little bit of blueberry flavor. It tastes great. I love it. The feedback's <clears throat> excuse me, been amazing. 
This is a wonderful product. I take three scoops of it a day. You can take one. You can take two. It's totally up to you. But it is a fruit and vegetable ground up food. This is not some crap garbage extract. This is the real thing. And you have no excuses for not eating your fruits and vegetables anymore. You know it's the good, it's the secret to a long life, folks. Everybody knows that. Doctors will tell you eat your fruits and vegetables. Give it a shot. It's available at brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. That's brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. While you're at it, check out Dawn to Dust, their energy supplement. I know a lot of you live busy lives. It gives you 10 hours of energy. No peaks and valleys, high sustained mood elevation throughout the day. Give that a shot too. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Okay. Uh, um, interesting piece in human progress that I will put up in the show notes today uh, as well. While we're talking about economics and the budget, this is entirely unsurprising to me, but it goes to show you, Joe, the pathology of the liberal ethos you know the class warfare ethos the rich people fair share how dangerous it is and how liberals Mm. i've encouraged you often to not fall into the trap that liberals are stupid liberals know exactly what they're doing the radical ones they know how to prey on human emotion and they know how to prey importantly on human envy this is one of those must read articles it's a little wonky but it's really really interesting Again, to be at the show notes that it said human progress. And it was a study done of people's attitudes towards taxation, Joe. And what they found out, which was not surprising to me, but I guess was to some of the researchers, Joe, one in six people would hike taxes on the rich, even if they knew in advance that it was going to hurt poor people. Now, that may not make sense to you, but it does. It entirely makes sense to me. And when you understand the evolution, and they address this a little bit in the piece of us from, you know, hunter-gatherer types and small packs of people. And what I spoke about yesterday, Joe, with Nassim Taleb mm-hmm. and yeah. his how groups, the size of the group matters yes. on how people think collectively. Like, people don't think collectively in terms of the United States, but they can think collectively in terms of small groups, families, mm-hmm. nuclear families, even in some senses, tribes in our, you know, in our pre- pre-industrial era but how when you start expanding the group out to this you know amorphous blob of people people can't com- you know people can't comprehend the united states what does that mean united everybody i mean i don't i don't get it like i'm supposed to care for a guy over here i don't i don't get it they don't understand and they start to think differently as the size of the group expands i found this interesting because it describes how in the hunter gatherer days joe things were zero sum In other words, if someone accumulated a lot of food when there was a small, say, pack of 10 or 15 people, Mm -hmm. that that one person accumulating food, given the local scarcity, would likely accumulate that food at the expense of everyone else who then couldn't go out and pick a berry or kill a deer because, you know, the the, the resources were scarce. Mm -hmm. So we evolved over time a sense of envy, a sense of like, well, Joe shouldn't have all that food. I should have some of it. But folks, as the economy expanded, as we've imported and how global resources have expanded and productivity has expanded dramatically, envy's become quite counterproductive because with the rich accumulate in a capitalist economy that's very productive, does not necessarily, and matter of fact, does not most of the time come at the expense of anyone. The rich generally accumulate in the capitalist economy things because they produce things and find holes for products that weren't there before. The reason Bill Gates is rich is because he came up with a computer design no one thought of before of him. 
Or they'd be Bill Gates themselves. They'd be Donnie Gates or Joey Botts or Joey Bag of Donuts Gates. But Bill Gates thought of it first. The guy who thought about putting music into a phone in the first iPhone thought of it before anyone else. Or at least got it to market before anyone else. It's probably a more precise way of saying it. How do I know that? Because there was no product out before that produced on a mass scale. But the Democrats understand that vestigial relic of our personality. Where Do you see what I'm saying, Joe? How envy served a purpose back then. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we were hunter-gatherers. Like I said, if you had all the deer meat and all the berries in your tent, someone else was probably starving. We have never quite shaken that, and liberals understand that. Radical liberals understand that one in six people would hike taxes on the rich, even if it hurts the poor. Because they're taking advantage of this vestigial envy remnant left in our brain that makes no sense in today's economy at all. None. But liberals get it. And that's why I always caution you on the show to not underestimate these cats. They know exactly what they're doing. People like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who rail against the rich while being rich themselves. Uh, note the hint of <laughs> yeah. absurd irony there. Bernie, what did he buy? Three homes or something like that? You know, uh, these people are rich themselves. They rail against the rich because they know people. At, one in six is a pretty big number, by the way. Yeah. They know people will. T- oh, yeah, yeah. We got to get what they've got. Well, what they have right now was built because they produced the product other people needed. That's not necessarily the case in a zero-sum limited resource environment that's local only scaled down to local that makes sense joe yeah how liberals they don't you know they yeah. that was a very meek yes that no, was, that was quiet. yeah yeah no I, yeah okay. i got it all right that's when you're in a yeah. local uh, environment and again you know the deer population is limited mm-hmm. and the fruits and berries locally are limited you know yes envy may benefit you because you're like hey why is joe taking all the food but when you expand that to a bigger collective global economy in a world where we we constantly dig up new resources every day and have mm-hmm. the benefit of technology, uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, a, a productivity enhancements. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but liberals never forgot that. Do not underestimate these people. But read the report in Human Progress. It's interesting, and it'll give you some keen insight mm-hmm. into how liberals do what they do. All right, let's uh, see. Oh, on the. Uh, on the car report yesterday, Joe, about the EPA mileage guidelines. Oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, with regards to yesterday's show, I just want you to know I really do deeply appreciate all the feedback. I know uh, the topic yesterday we brought up tariffs can always be controversial with the audience, but I read your stuff. Um, you know, even you who ferociously disagree. And, and, you know, some of you make very, very good arguments, and I'm not a liberal. I'm always open to hearing it. Some of them are very persuasive, and hopefully we'll readdress the topic, you know, someday, maybe, you know, in a, next week or so. And I'll bring up some of the countervailing points, too, that some of you brought up because they're interesting. But I do appreciate your feedback, and I don't want you to think for a second I ignore it. Like I said, I only asked yesterday, and I hope we don't lose you. Uh, I really do. That you just hear my points out, too, and you don't have to agree, and I- I'm listening to yours. And, uh, you know, some of you make some very convincing arguments and I'll bring up some of the other stuff, hopefully in a, in a later show, but I do appreciate the feedback on the show. I, my wife and I read all of it all the time. It matters. The show is for you. We do it for you. It's not the, you know, it's not for me, but, uh, in regards to yesterday's show, I had discussed 
those EPA mileage guidelines and what a genius maneuver it was for Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator, to attempt to scrap these Obama mileage guidelines because they were destroying the U.S. car market. And one of the interesting points about it I, I neglected to bring up yesterday, Joe, was that the irony of these mileage guidelines, the 20, 50, Obama instituted a 54 miles per gallon guideline by 2025 for for uh, the fleet, the average across the fleet, mm-hmm. which, as I said yesterday, makes it impossible for American car companies to successfully compete because they build SUVs and they build trucks. They build them well. They're popular. People buy them and they don't get 54 miles a gallon. So they got to build a bunch of crap small cars nobody wants to average across the fleet this 54 miles a gallon. Now, what I, I neglected to include one of the whys. One of the whys in this show, why the Obama administration did this, mm-hmm. is because what kind of car do you... Let's say you have a truck. Right. Uh, like I have a Raptor and it gets like 18, 20 miles a gallon. You sell a lot of Raptors. That means you're going to have to sell, Joe, to get your average corporate fleet mm-hmm. to get it up to 54 just by doing simple math, you're going to have to sell a whole lot of cars that get like 70, 80 miles a gallon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know any fuel-only car that does that? That's in mass production. No. No. Not that's in, no. But what does that? Electric and hybrid cars. Yeah. This has been a push by the Obama administration for a long time to get us onto this electric car nonsense, uh, which, listen, if you want electric cars, that that's terrific. Do your thing. But another thing here, Joe... This mm-hmm. is one of the whys I missed yesterday. I'm going to test you on this. I'm sorry. I put you on the spot. All right, Dan. But, Joe, you uh, when you drive around and you see people driving Priuses and things like that, mm-hmm. are they... This, this is. I'm not tricking you, but I'm... I'm mm-hmm. Do you think they're more like Florida panhandle conservatives, or do you think the people driving Priuses are like bowtie-wearing, foie gras-eating uh, New York City liberals? What do you think? I think they're like uh, foie gras-eating For- liberals. Yeah. Yes! Yes! They've they got the dead giveaway on it. Civility. So, Bumper yes, stickers. So what I, now, listen, I am not stereotyping. <laughs> and please don't take this the wrong way. I'm trying to make a point here. Yeah. But if we were to take the average income of, say, someone in... My uncle lives in Dothan, Alabama, and the average income of someone who rents an apartment in Manhattan who drives a Prius, who do you think would be higher? The person who drives the Prius. Yeah, in Manhattan, right. So, folks, not only does this benefit the electric car industry, because as I just said to you, Joe... Mm. These fleets will have to produce a bunch of electric cars to offset the Raptor and the Tahoe and the Dodge Ram, which, by the way, a lot of people just don't want. I know people down here in Florida where I live in you know, Palm City, they don't want them. Yeah. But a lot of city dwellers who have trouble parking their cars and who are, in fact, liberal will go out and buy the Prius and other cars like that. But what winds up happening? The car companies, Joe, lose a fortune. On these small cars, hmm. these small cars that these American car companies are producing that nobody wants, mm-hmm. they are losing a fortune. Matter of fact, in a Wall Street Journal piece today, I talk about this Fiat model, Joe. I, I couldn't believe this. I had to double check to make sure I didn't get this wrong. It says they lose $14,000 for every sale. Are you... That's Is that incredible? I don't know. if the, I mean, really, I, I read it and I was like, I, is this right? What? Now, let's say it's $1,000. They're not making money on every car. They're right. losing money on these cars. 
Now, what does that mean? In order to sell these cars, they have to sell them at this serious discount, meaning that the people who are paying elevated prices now for the Raptor and the Tahoe and the Suburban and the Ram yeah. are paying those elevated prices to offset the losses of the rich people yes. buying the Prius. So this cafe standard, these corporate fleet standards, which mm-hmm. I applaud the Trump administration, and I certainly applaud Scott Pruitt, the EPA administrator, for doing this, are wiping out a subsidy from basically lower income, the middle income folks who drive trucks and SUVs to really rich, wealthy city dwellers who drive these prius type uh, non-gas guzzling cars. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, is. we're paying for them to drive these little crap mobiles around. And uh, you know what? I that This is one of the reasons I, you know, despite my disagreements on isolated policies here and there, this is one of the reasons I, I really, on a very serious note, I really appreciate what the Trump team is doing. You know, I know there are a lot of anti-Trump conservatives out there, but let's be honest, there are other you know, the, the, they knew the media was going to go nuts with this, Joe, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the media oh, loves yeah. this this pseudo environmental policy. The media loves their rich friends, Prius, the price of it being uh, being subsidized by Raptors and, and Tahoe buyers in, in, in poorer states. They love that. They knew there was going to be significant backlash to this. And you know what they said, Joe? Damn. And they did it anyway. Yeah, I just I gave see. Joe the yeah, Joe I gave Joe the universal sign of we don't care. Oh. But it was a little more vulgar than that. I'm sorry. But that's what they, the Trump team was like, nah, we don't care, but thanks. Have a nice day. Now that ties in neatly to the next topic I wanted to bring up, which is related to this. I'm going to put another article up at the show notes today. There's a lot of show notes today from the week, which is, you know, not a concert, far right conservative outlet, by the way. And in this article, the author does a decent job, Joe, of explaining why Trump's popularity, despite, you know, Stormy and all this other garbage, continues to go up. Mm-hmm. He's actually approaching 50%. Yes, he is. And he makes a couple great points. And I wanted to bring these points up in light of yesterday's show and today's show and the, the, the EPA thing. Trump doesn't care, folks, about the politics. It, he doesn't. Now, sometimes that works against me in some cases. You know, I disagree with some things, but let's be honest, Joe. He does not lie. Mm-hmm. Trump ran on a couple things that he's still pushing for. He ran on a sensible immigration policy. He ran on a wall. He ran on uh, China. He ran on tax cuts. And that's exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's not kidding around. I mean, I, I can say whatever I want about the tariffs, but it's not like it was a surprise. Trump ran on all of this. And, you know, you got to appreciate the man's honesty. I mean, we've been lied to for politicians for for what? You know, since, since the inception of the republic? I mean, this guy actually does what he says. He does not care about the political backlash. Other presidents have. Now, what's interesting about the piece is he touches on something, the writer, about why Trump's popularity is high, that I think is an imperative for anyone looking to run for office or influence the political debate in the future. This is important. He addresses in the beginning of the piece all these potentially damaging political narratives that came out, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the the stormy story and all this other uh, junk. But he brings up something you and I have talked about before, how the only real damaging political narratives, Joe are those that change 
a pre-existing perception about who that person is. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Why did the Monica Walensky impeachment? I can't, I can't believe I just said that. I said that as a joke one night to my wife and now it's in my head. Lewinsky. One night I joked around. I'm like, what if they refer like Walensky? It was a stupid joke. My (laughs) wife's probably laughing right. But now it's in my head. The Monica Lewinsky impeachment trial of Bill Clinton. Why did he leave office with nearly 60% approval? Because, folks, the Lewinsky trial and the incident, I'm not justifying it. Don't. I'm not morally justifying anything. I'm simply stating to you, it did nothing to change the pre-existing perception of who Bill Clinton was. Nothing. Zero. Everybody understood what, you know, uh, old Bill was up to. And when news stories started coming out, they just were like, okay, we don't like it. But now the premise of the article here about Trump is similar, that everybody understood he was brash. So his tweets Mm -hmm. are, are people have just become used to it. The tweets aren't really bothering. I, folks, his approval's going up. If the tweets were bothering people, his approval would be going down. It's not. Numbers do matter. Facts matter, okay? Yeah, it's just Trump being Trump. Trump being Trump. I yeah. mean, Trump never hid his proclivities for eccentric behavior on the Howard Stern show when he was out there. None <laughs> of this changes any pre-existing political now. None. Now, to give you an example of how it would... Imagine a story like that came out about George W. Bush, mm-hmm. who is known as a deeply, you know, I worked for the man. I can tell you that's not an act. He is sincerely a deeply religious guy. I don't appreciate a lot of his politics. He spent a lot of money. Uh, but besides the point, I worked for him and his wife. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that that is not an act at all. George W. is a, he is a deeply spiritual and religious guy. That is not some kind of farcical, let me play this up for the camera routine. I don't think that's going to surprise any of you, but that's my point. If a story, God forbid, not that I'm saying this would happen, it wouldn't. But if it came out about George W. Bush, mm-hmm. it'd be a little different, Joe. It would significantly change the existing political narrative that that's who this guy was. Mm. But that's not who Trump was. Trump ran as a big, brash, bold Queens businessman who had been out in the forefront of the public and had led a, you know, an eccentric life before. None of this changes any pre-existing narratives. Now, combine that with the fact, you know, I hope you like today's show because I put a lot of work into tying all this together, folks. Seriously, today's show took like two and a half hours, which for me is a long time. Combine that with the fact that I'll put another article in the show notes today from CNBC. That job growth is through the roof. March payrolls, folks, 241,000 jobs. Estimates were for 205. Almost 40,000 more jobs and even high estimates in March alone. Combine that with that, that people are like, well, okay, so what? Uh, We got this lady on 60 Minutes talking about some kind of thing with Trump. And I got a raise, (laughs) right? Yeah. My company's hiring. Job market's hot. I mean, we're generally, uh, generally you know, at peace. They're, you know, obviously we have the threat of the North Koreans. The Iranians don't want to be hyperbolic with, but there's not an, at least now, not a Cold War type World War II um, event going on. There's always the threat of terror. Of course, we have Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. But Trump's, I think, success is also on the world stage. The North Koreans getting them to back down a bit. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, 
like is the way he's confronted China. And I think you're starting to see what is a narrative of, hey, Donald Trump, he's big, he's bold, he's brash, he tweets. You know, sometimes it puts people on the uncomfortable side of uh, what they would consider presidential or not, but he's the president. Therefore, it's presidential. The job job market's moving. My job is better. And you know what? I don't mind it so much. Nothing has been done yet to change the political narrative. And I say that because it's a model for the future if you're thinking about running. If you have a whole bunch of skeletons and stuff, you better get them out there. Because once the narrative's set about who you are, you'll be fine. But if you lie about it and something comes out later makes you look foolish, you're going to have some splaining to do. So interesting piece. There's a lot of content in the show notes today. I strongly encourage you to check them out. All right. A couple more things I want to get to because there was more breaking news yesterday. Uh, Before I get to that, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Filter By. We love Filter By. This is the maybe the greatest read in human history. They wrote this. This just mm-hmm. goes to show you how how the the nerve on this company. I mean that in a good way. In a very hot political environment. It's spring cleaning time, and like Trump is cleaning out corrupt officials, you can clean up the air you breathe and make your HVAC system great again. That's their line. I love these guys. And folks, don't procrastinate. Otherwise, dust, mold, pollutants, allergy-aggravating pollutants will clog up your HVAC system. It costs you a lot of money. It'll become inefficient. You'll have to clean it out. You'll have to fix it or replace it. It ends up costing you some big dough. Sounds like the federal government, right? Yeah. That's their line. I'm going to make that up. That's not ad-libbed. I love these guys. Clean up your HVAC system with my friends at FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. Now you see why we like these guys and we vet our sponsors. They're great. They carry over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all shipped free, gratis, within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options, all the way up to hospital grade, so you'll be removing dangerous mold, pollen, dust, and all that junk out of the air, maximizing the efficiency of your system, folks, which will save you some money. Save money, save time, set up auto delivery. Auto delivery is nice. You need filters once a year, set up auto delivery, you'll save 5%. You'll save 5% with auto delivery. You'll never need to think about air filters again. Save money. Save time. Breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com. FilterBuy.com. Thanks, FilterBuy. You guys are great. Love that ad. Okay, yesterday, big news yesterday came out regarding the Trump investigation. Uh, First chunk of news was from Carol Lennig at the Washington Post and Bob Costa. And the breaking news from them was that and this this has really surprised me because I think they're revealing the whole game here, is that Trump, Joe, let me just read to you directly from the piece, make it easy. Uh, Special counsel Bob Mueller informed President Donald Trump's attorneys last month that he is continued, continuing to invest, read, the, listen, 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 this is important, that he, Mueller, that is, is continuing to investigate the president, but does not consider him a criminal at this point, according to three people familiar with the discussions. I'm going to skip something here, but Mueller described Trump as a subject of his investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 elections. Prosecutors view someone as a subject. Again, this is important. Mm -hmm. When that person has engaged in conduct that is under investigation, but there is not sufficient evidence to bring charges. What have I told you over and over and over again about this case? They are not investigating a crime. They're investigating Donald Trump. They basically admitted these three sources. He's a subject. Well, what does that mean? That means we're investigating him, but we have no evidence he committed a crime. You're, what are you investigating him for then? I don't understand. 
Do you understand how devastating that statement Lenny and Costa <laughs> have in their piece is? <laughs> Think about that, Joe. Oh, yeah. Cops show up at your house. Joe, you're a subject of an yeah. investigation. What did I do? Oh, nothing. Do we have any evidence of a crime? No, none. But you're still the subject. Well, what am I the subject of? An investigation. Into what? We don't know. Well, did I commit a crime? We have no evidence of that. Well, why am I a subject? Because you are. I... I'm just taking a note here because I don't want to miss this. One more thing I want to get to. (laughs) But this is frustrating. Frustrating beyond belief. The... Byron York has a piece in the Washington Examiner. It's another one of those must-read pieces. It'll be in the show notes today. Byron York, who is a very level-headed, I get very passionate about this stuff. No one's ever going to accuse Byron York of being a, uh, you know, in any way a hothead in regards to these issues. I get it. I get very passionate. This stuff matters to me. It matters to him, too. But he is a not uninterested, but disinterested observer. He has a piece in the Examiner about how dangerous what's going on now is, folks. The reason I've covered this, and you know, sometimes it's been five minutes of the show, sometimes it's been a whole hour. But the reason I continue, and the reason that we're wrapping up the book now, and I know I keep telling it, but we're just big news on that coming soon. The reason this is so dangerous, York makes two points, Joe. Number one, they use the Logan Act. Mm-hmm. The Logan Act, a crime never successfully charged in the history of the Republic to charge Mike Flint. In other words, folks, they had no evidence of serious criminality, so they invented a crime. Now, the Logan Act is real, yeah. real in the sense that it's on the books, but not real in the sense that it's never, ever been used to successfully prosecute anyone. So what did they do? They pulled it out of their hat and they used it to prosecute Mike Flint. You may say, oh, well, he didn't plead guilty to the Logan Act. That was the reason for the interview they claimed he lied in when they later claimed he didn't lie. He was charged with false statements despite the fact that the FBI said he didn't lie. But they were there to interview him for violations of the Logan Act, which nobody has ever been successfully prosecuted on, ever. It's essentially a fabricated crime. So York's piece of the examiner is like, that's part number one. If we're going to start doing that now, because we are, Joe, creating subjects, we are not mm-hmm. creating criminal investigations. We're making people subjects of crimes that don't, that we're fabricating crimes to fit people. We're not investigating crimes, finding people later. We're finding people and finding crimes later. Do you understand the difference? The way crimes are investigated in the United States, people report crimes, investigations happen, they find the people who commit the crimes, they are arrested, prosecuted, potentially jailed. We do not target people and then go look for crimes later. That's York's premise about why this is so dangerous. And also why I read to you the Carol Lenning and Bob Costa piece about, how, oh, Trump's not a criminal target. Oh, but he is a subject. Is there any evidence? No, there's no evidence. They are not investigating a crime. They're investigating Trump. You all could be targets next. Point number two, the takeaway from York's piece, which is critical, is that the dossier obviously was was debunked or at a minimum not verified that we are now using bought and paid for 
political dirt and opposition to prosecute our political opponents. Folks, this is this is really a troubling, troubling development. Two big takeaways. We're inventing crimes because we're going after people and then we're sticking those crimes on them. And secondly, we're now using political opposition to stick into the court system to prosecute people. No, 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 no. This isn't right now because I had a ton of stuff to get to. One another piece in the show notes today from legal insurrection. I, as you know, I, I told you to take it east with Sessions. I know some of you disagree, but I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes there, especially mm-hmm. with Huber, the new uh, uh, United States attorney looking into this. Or prosecutor signed by the government, assistant United States attorney. Uh, I think he was the U.S. attorney for Utah. But I am no fan of Rosenstein at all. There is some shady, shady stuff going on with Rosenstein. Did you see this development yesterday, Joe? Mm, yeah. Where's my note? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, gosh, what did I do with this? Oh, here we go. Rosenstein writes a memo mm-hmm. to, to Mueller on August 2nd of 2017, expanding the scope of Mueller's special counsel investigation into Manafort's dealing with Ukraine. Now, this is important. Because when you are assigned as a special counsel, you are limited to the appointment. And the appointment is very specific. If you read the legal insurrection piece, you can read Mueller's basically scope of duties. Mm-hmm. And it says the Russian collusion into the investigation and other crimes re- resulting from it. So it was broad, but it wasn't overly broad, or I, in many people's opinions, it wasn't broad enough to include an investigation into Manafort money laundering into Ukraine. Now, that may have been a crime, but that should not have been the result of the special counsel investigation based on its limited authority. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Joe? Yep. In other words, Mueller was investigating Manafort in Mm -hmm. Ukraine when he shouldn't have been. He was not charged to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Fascinating that Manafort goes to courts, you know, basically sues Mueller over this. And in memos produced on August 2nd of 2017, a Rosenstein memo giving Manafort basically permission to go. I mean, excuse me, giving Mueller permission to go and look at Manafort's business dealings with Ukraine. Hmm. Why should that matter? Because Manafort's house, folks was raided a month earlier on July 26th of 2017. Right. So if Manafort's house in an early morning raid was raided on July 26th of 2017 in relation to his business dealings with Ukraine, how the hell's a memo drafted up on August 2nd, 2017, giving Mueller authority to do that? Let me do the pen on desk thing. Does that make sense to you? Does this sound like a ex post facto, basically butt covering technique Hmm. that Mueller may have said, oh, we just raided this guy's house and my legal team is telling me that we may have not had prosecutorial investigative authority to in fact target him. Hey, Rosenstein, can we get that memo? Uh, guys, did you raid the house already? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did that last. What do you mean you did it last week? All right, let's draw up this memo. This is why I don't trust Rosenstein at all. Rosenstein, of course, was also the United States attorney uh, in charge of the 10X prosecution related to the Uranium One case. I don't trust Rosenstein one bit. 
I think this was a butt covering technique later on. I think someone on the legal team for Mueller went back after the raid and said, hey, uh, Bob, I'm not quite sure we have the authority to do this. Oh, let's go to Rosenstein for a memo. Read the legal insurrection piece. It's awesome. It lays it all out for you. How, again, this thing, and and this is why I, I get a little disturbed at some of the emails. They're cool, send them, but don't mistake for a second my support of what's going on behind the scenes, I think with Sessions' approval to investigate FISA-gate, Flynn-gate, and Obama-gate with support for Mueller or Rosenstein. Those two are a disaster. The Mueller investigation should be shut down, and Rosenstein's approval of it is pathetic. Don't mistake, those are two completely separate things. I know they seem related, but they're not. There is stuff going on behind the scenes. I know it. I'm sure of it. I've already bet my reputation on it. This show matters to me. But the Mueller investigation and Rosenstein's memo on August 2nd to expand an investigation where a raid occurred on July 26th, to me, let's <laughs> see Dr. Phil. This stinks to high heaven. <laughs> sure does. Sure does, Daddy-O. There's something wrong there, folks. All right. I really appreciate you tuning in today. Read that article. Show notes is packed with uh, great material today. Matt Palumbo's article uh, debunking that Australia thing is there. So please check us out, Bongino.com. If you subscribe to my email list, of course, we'll get it right to you. And check out my NRA TV show tonight. 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, available at nratv.com, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. Thanks again for tuning in, folks. Uh, we'll be announcing winners soon. The dance contest, keep sending them my way. Me and my wife are really getting a kick out of them. We'll see you all soon. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at dbongino.